Thanks for joining us again here in the downstairs. My name is Josh Finkelman, and this is my podcast, Running Up the Downstairs. This hot little ditty that you're listening to all up in your ear canals is episode number 12. That's right. Who'd have believed we make it here, but we did, and now we're a whole year's worth of episodes old. I mean, not in, like, actual age. This thing's been going for a couple of years, but in episodes, we're a whole year's worth old. I mean, if we were a monthly and not weekly like we currently continue to be, so also congratulations to us on that front. Today, you've got the pleasure of listening to a little conversation I had yesterday with the fantastic Julia Schneider, a good friend of mine, and more importantly to our endeavors here in the downstairs, one of the country's top talent agents. Also worth noting, and also another first for this little podcast situation we've got going on, we're posting this with not even a 24-hour turnaround. That's right, this little 12th episode extravaganza is hot off the presses. Special thanks to Dan Gallia, who stepped up with an impromptu star turn in this week's commercial break. As always, thanks to Ian Campbell for our theme song, and Ted Peters and the Gumbo Yeah Yeah for the music underneath the ad break. And now, what you've all come here for, me talking about all of the things with the always intrepid Julia Schneider. It's me, your host, Josh Finkelman, and I am here today with the delightful, the wonderful, the amazing Julia Schneider. Thank, Thank you for being you. Oh, we started off talking over top of each other. This is a, it's a rough start. No, I'm joking. It's great. <laughs> Julia is, uh, is a good friend of mine. Um, she's an agent of some renown. We're going to talk all about it, um, and I'm super happy that she was able to jump in today and, uh, and be on the podcast. So thank you for coming. Um, and so I've been, we, Julie and I have been talking about sort of what we do here in the downstairs and what we're all about. And uh, so we're going to start right back at the beginning with the big question is, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, not a talent agent. <laughs> uh, Julie <laughs> is a talent agent now. So, so not a talent agent. It wasn't even in the cards. No, and it was, an actor wasn't even, a performer of any kind wasn't in the cards. I wanted to be a doctor. When you were how, like, what are we talking, like 12 years old, 13 years old? No, like, I mean, the, the first sign of any sort of careers were doctors, astronauts, painters. So it was one of those three. Okay. Um, and then that kind of just slowly went downhill because I'm terrible at math. I know that <laughs> feeling well. I'm very familiar with that feeling. And, um, but, but, I, but I started expanding and started making more of a creative um, avenue for myself and my parents really uh supported that so it kind of just evolved into the entertainment industry but I had no intention of of ever going there because I didn't grow up in a household of entertainers or performers you know they all love the arts but no one was in the business so what put you in that spot like at some point you had to audition for something right so what was the where was the jump from i want to be an astronaut and like you know the the sort of like kid stuff that we all you know everyone has these grandiose dreams like you know my sister becomes a doctor but the rest of us just play with stethoscopes and stuff right and right. then we go somewhere so what was the what was the moment that you were like you found yourself in an audition like what was that connect uh i 
really needed an outlet for creativity. So I joined a theater troupe out in Thornhill. I think I was, oh, I don't know, probably about 13. Was it characters? It was. See, I grew up in Thornhill. I know those names. So Shari Qualenberg uh, started this amazing troupe for young performers and everybody was welcome. Everyone, you know, auditioned and got your own little parts, but you would work on it every week and then you would do a fantastic performance in a beautiful auditorium with all of the things, costume, hair, makeup, all the great things. And I was really young, but I got the lead in it. And she um, was, you know, the director of the program. And so she said to me one day, have you ever thought about acting on television? And I went, what's, what's that? I don't know. And she's like, well, you watch television? I went, yeah. She's like, just like that. Those, those people on television. Do you want to do that? And I went, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I so like, at, at 13, um, Shari Qualmberg from AMI, which is, you know, still a fantastic company in Toronto, uh, signed me. And then I was with her for eight years. So she kind of gave me my first real look into the business, um, my first experience with a professional agent. Um, getting me work and auditions and, and, you know, filling up my bank account a little bit. It was, it was pretty, pretty wild. And I think at that point when I first started auditioning, I wasn't sure what it was going to be like. And I got a job when the money came in, I was like, Whoa, I had fun all day and I got paid. What is this life? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I, you'll pay me to enjoy myself. That's, yeah. I feel like that's the dream. It's interesting. Like I never, I never did characters. I came. What year did you start with characters? Ooh. Do you remember? Ballpark. Oh, I mean, ninety-seven, perhaps. Okay. I think so that's because I think that was right around the time where I was like not being an actor anymore. Like I was, I did a lot of like acting from like, I don't know, maybe like 10 to 17 maybe like I went on like all of one audition but I took a lot of like classes and all that sort of stuff and I never I, I remember characters more as a thing that kids at the day camp that I uh that I was like the drama specialist went to like there were a couple of them were in like this day camp and they would be with the characters group and I remember being like I remember there was like a weird it, I just missed it like I feel like I would have been really into it especially because it was like near right near my house I would have been really into it but I never I think it just like I just missed it right um but there was a there like for me I know that there was a moment like of just you know childhood uh, self esteem whatever that I saw myself on camera in a grade ten uh, communications class in high school and I went oh I'm gonna have to be behind the camera like I always wanted to make movies but there was this moment where like my my teenage like low self esteem just like went oh that's not what I, no okay we're gonna make these movies and we'll put people on screen right and uh, and then I just kind of went the opposite direction. Um, but you were finding success and like people were putting you on, on camera. So like, what was the, was it always a good experience or did you find that like, um, you kind of stopped enjoying it at some point in time? So, um, funny enough after I think my first or second job, I got another, I, I got another job, uh, you know, as one does, but it was the hardest job that I had to, to that um, extent because I had to do a double, a, a Duolingo commercial. I had to do 60 seconds in English and 60 seconds in French. And it was all me talking to the camera. And I had to memorize two different languages, two different scripts. It was one day of shoot. 
uh, it was it was the hardest thing that I ever had to do. And then that was the first day I walked away and I went, wow, I worked so hard today and I feel awful <laughs> and I feel like I didn't do a good job and no money in the world is going to make me feel better. And it's funny because it was one of those things where I really started to look inside and go, how do I really feel about this? And I felt really uncomfortable. And at that moment, I went, maybe this isn't for me. I've done it three times. I tried it out. I thought I was having fun. And now it's really hard. And I don't know if I want to do it. I feel it makes me feel vulnerable and all those things. Sure. Um, and so I can't really quite remember the timeline. But at that point, I do remember really considering if this was a thing that I wanted to do. And then I think what happened was I just got another audition, another audition, and I kind of forgot about it. And then you just kind of practice and you get into that motion. And so I just kind of continued to stay doing it. It wasn't until about 10 years after I started that, you know, working really hard, going to classes, studying acting, getting on set, but not making enough money to live in my mid-20s. Gotcha. So, you know, trying to find ways to survive. And in my mid-20s, I was kind of a little concerned. So I was like, oh, maybe I have to make a different decision on what I'm going to do with my, my life. <laughs> <laughs> I think we I've made I've gotten I feel like I've been at that point a number of times it's like a I think it's it's a very um it's a very 2000s like new millennium uh thing like I feel like my mom has or you know my mom my dad changed careers a couple times too so maybe it's not maybe it's just an adult thing now that I think about it like I feel like when you're a kid it always seems so black and white like I know when I was when I was uh like thinking about schools um you know it was always like I'm going to film school you know, because I want to be a director. That's what I want to do. I know I was so like laser focused on it. Um, and then, I mean, I lost my dad when I was uh, applying. So it became rather than being laser focused, it just became the only thing that I knew for sure at that point. And so I went with it. Um, but I know I look back on it now and I'm like, I'm the person that I am because I went through those experiences. But I always wonder like, you know, if someone had been had taken me aside at that point and said, no, like, I mean, they did, but like, if I had listened to someone taking me aside at that point and being like, Hey, you can still do that, but you'll be more successful at it. If you have more behind it, potentially something along those lines. Right. And then what my life would have been like, had I just done a bachelor of arts or whatever it was. Right. And so do you ever like think, because you obviously had that moment where like, you're not making enough money to, to be comfortable or, or whatever it was that like prompted you to sort of stop, not stop auditioning, but maybe veer in a different direction. Do you ever look back on that? I mean, especially now in the, in your current circumstances and think like knowing what I know now, could I have gone like, what if I had veered left? I feel like when I made the decision to become a talent agent, I got a lot of information behind the scenes and how the business works. It's not all kosher. So if I had made, if I, if I, what is, what is the saying? If you, what, what you know now? If I knew now what I, if I knew then what I know now? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure there's a saying there, but I, I think that's get, like. Right I now. never get sayings right. I'm always notorious for mixing them up or making them sound ridiculous. So. I, pref I prefer sayings that are a little bit off, like just getting them a little bit wrong. I think that's the ideal way to use a saying. So as you were. But what I know now, if I knew then, uh, I would not have become an actor. Interesting. Like from jump, you would have like been like, Hey, young Julia, don't do it. Yeah. 
interesting. I mean, that doesn't, I, I don't know if I'm just, I mean, given the nature of the world, right. That like the, the last five years and all that sort of stuff, like I can understand, I think it, it, there's an easy connection to being like, Oh, I understand that. Not that it's necessarily because of the same things, but I think Hollywood has become this sort of darker place now, even though it's, you know, like light and happy and, you know, movies and all that sort of stuff. But I think like, as we get, you know, further into the future and start realizing how things are done. And all of a sudden, like, you never want to see how the sausage is made, you know, I think is that's a saying that's the right one, you know, and I yeah, think now that we get to see it more, it's a little bit so yeah, that's interesting. But do you find do you find that you as a and we're going to get into how you got to be an agent and like all that sort of stuff. Um, but do you find now like in your day to day pre-COVID, let's, let's uh, you know, assume that the world is not um, where, you know, locked down uh, for this question. But like, do you find that you, the way you are as an agent is directly related to your experience as an actor? Or do you find that like, you're an agent now and so you approach it as how can I be the best? Like, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, is there, do you, do you think there is a linear connection to it? I think everything has a linear connection, especially when, you know, you've chosen to make it your career. Um, you have to be passionate about it. You have to sit with it. And I think that my segue from acting into representing talent was very easy to a certain degree because I understand the lingo, um, you know, how it is to be a performer in front of a room of people that you don't know that you think are against you thinking that they are not against that. They, that they don't want you to get the part, you know, that they, that they, are your enemies, but really what it is, is it's a collaborative space and camaraderie. And, um, I think I'm kind of segueing onto something else, but that's segue away. That's, that's what they're for. Um, but I do believe that, um, I, I essentially wanted to become an agent for obviously a bunch of reasons, but I wanted to be the agent that I wanted to have growing up. I loved Shari. Shari was fantastic. You know, still so much to learn from her, even collaborating with her as agents together, which is hilarious because we're both now doing the same job. Yet she used to represent me. So it's funny. Um, you know, she's a mentor of mine still. So um, I really tailored kind of that relationship and what I had with her from when I was 13 years old and kind of implementing it into my own practice with ambition. And, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, the thing that sets me apart from most agents is that I have a performer's background and also just more than a decade of experience with all the casting directors sure. that used to cast me in commercials and TV shows for the last, you know, Half of want, my life. <laughs> I, I definitely, I definitely want to ask you about that. We're going to come back to that particular part because I'm also really. I, I find that I feel like the transition would have been really interesting. But just because we're we're still talking about, uh, you mentioned uh, mentors and how she was your mentor, and so one of the things that I I kind of. <sighs> I don't know if it's a conscious thing, but I know I've asked a lot, a, a number of people during a number of these these episodes about it, um, and I have this sort of personal theory that the idea of a mentor is can be both a really great thing, and if you have one, you're super lucky to be able to benefit from that. But it can also be um, uh, something that holds you back a little bit. And I always felt like, you know, um, because I never had someone that I would specifically point to and say that person was my mentor, right? That you know, it's a little bit 
not to say harder or not harder, woe is me and, or, or any of that sort of stuff, but just like the pathway to wherever you want to go becomes different because you don't necessarily know where, it, where, where the road is. You don't know what doors to open, all that sort of stuff. Um, and when we, I was talking to, we were talking about how uh, you listened to my previous episode with Trey. And so I was asking her about it as well, because she has, you know, these three uh, dudes that she works with who she considers her mentor and they've, you know, sort of not open doors for her, but shown her where the doors that she can open herself are. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you talk about Sherry as a mentor. Do you know what I mean? Do you think that you, I guess, do you see that, that difference between like, cause you're seeing a lot of creative people, right? You're seeing a lot of successful people to some degree. So like in your position, cause you kind of have this, I guess, overarching look at, at, at a lot of different types of folk. Do you think that mentors are something that A, are important or not important, right? And also, do you ever see yourself as a mentor to other people now that you have sort of progressed to this stage in your career? For sure. Um, I believe it is important to have mentors. I mean, we lead by example um, and we follow (laughs) as well. Sure. (laughs) So I think that, I mean, again, I, I contribute all of my success as much as I have a very good driven focus and work ethic. You can't do it without a team of people. And that team will revolve and change and, and throughout, throughout the entire years of your life and, and specifically career wise. Yes. Shari was the first person that I was introduced to in the professional business of acting. So yeah. Automatically, she became a mentor because I looked up to her. She had all the knowledge and I wanted to learn. However, I was really scared of her because she was so good at her job and very quick and, you know, talked really fast and just got to the point, just got the work done. But I was 13 and I was just learning. So something like that, as much as I say she's a mentor, she also taught me things that I don't want to do or involve in my practice. You know, she's specific on how she is right it's just her and for me that's not me so i know that i'm not going to be that way and so automatically i just my my ability to to take what she's given me and change it and adapt it for myself um i thank her for that again same with my business partner david ritchie at ambition he started the company about 15 years ago i joined him just over 10 and we built the company together. He taught me how to become an agent. He taught me how to talk to clients, you know, kind of relate, just be more business savvy. Again, another great mentor of mine. And I have so many of those people now after a Rolodex of 10 years that I can reach out to. And, you know, this is also something we can probably get into, but producing is the next thing that I want to get my hands into more. As much as I still have my career and my roster and I love my company, I still want to do something else. So now I'm reaching out to all my producer friends and going, hey, can I take you to dinner and you can just tell me what you do every day and how I can get into this? So those are my new mentors. So I feel like we all need to have strong role models, influencers, support. Um, We really need to surround ourselves with like-minded individuals who can champion you and raise you up. So... Again, they don't have to, you don't have to know them, but if you see somebody and you like the way that they work or you, it inspires you some way, I mean, I say that's, that's as good as anything for, 
for mentorship. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's funny. I, I feel like it's weird. I feel like, you know, young Josh, like teenage Josh, like just had this idea. And I think it's probably, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's an age thing or if it's a time of, you know, when he was thinking these things, but I, there, I think there was a point where you're like, you're not supposed to seek out a mentor. Like you're supposed to find a mentor, you know, like I had this idea of it being like, I'm going to find someone and they're going to be like, I'm going to take you under my wing. You know what I mean? Rather than me going being like, Hey, I love what you do. Take me under your wing. Like there's something about asking people for things that I've never really enjoyed very much, which I mean is a whole other bag of worms. But, um, would you say that like your the best advice you can give someone if for that perspective would be to like don't wait for it to happen to go and like you know approach let's say you for example someone wanted to get into agenting you know what i mean like if they reached out and said like hey you know this is i want to take you out for dinner so you can tell me how to do it like is that something that you are super like responsive to or is it something that you're like i'll do it on occasion you know what i mean like what's your yeah. approach to Again, so your second part to the question was, do I find myself to be a mentor? And I am by default, I think, because, you know, when you run a company, you've got clients and they look up to you and you got to work with them. And then you've got young, budding, you know, newbies kind of coming in and wanting to get into this whole industry. Yeah, I want to be the person that I didn't have at that stage. I want to be accessible for people. Because I didn't feel like I had that ability and that room for 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 that. So, sure. uh, yeah, I love when people want to talk about it because it's literally an easy topic for me to discuss because it's been in my blood for my entire life. And it's it's such a natural and comfortable place for me to be that that I will give it all. I will give it all away. <laughs> I'll tell but you. Book. I mean, you're, you're here. So, right. Like you're, you're living that. Um, well, let me ask you another question about, uh, cause Julie and I are, are, are friends. We, we've known each other for actually a really long time. Strangely, we discovered, um, uh, but we won't go into that story. Um, but we've known each other for a long time. And, um, and one of the things that I find really interesting about you, it's like a weird, it's not a weird, it's a quirk, but it's not a weird, it's not a bad thing. But you refer to your clients as friend, like uh, friends and people I work with, right? Which I think is really interesting because I always would expect it to be the other way around that you would refer to those people as clients, right? And so there are a lot of times where you're like, oh, I'm, uh, you know, I have to go talk to this friend of mine or, or I'm having a meeting with this person. And I'm always like, there's a little part of me and I never want to bug you about like, you know, business or whatever, but I always wonder, there's always a part of me being like, wait, is she going to like a business meeting or is she hanging out with friends or is, uh, and, and so I, you know what I mean? It's one of those things where I'm always like, I'm always like this lady gets to work with her friends and that's you know really kind of uh something that i mean i work with my friends too i think we all make friends where we work but i always find that really interesting and do you do you think that that's um do you think is that a conscious and intentional decision that you're making or is that just how you naturally refer to people um good question <laughs> one thing about me i I really like, um, actually, no, I want to start that again. <laughs> hey, look. I don't know where to begin with that. I'll, I won't lie to you. Take your time. I've been sitting on that question for easily a month and a half. It? Um, so you refer to your clients and your friend and the people that you work with as, um, like, well, let's say your clients. You refer to your clients I, as I, friends yeah. and, yeah. Yeah, I refer to them as clients all the time. They're, again, I have a very 
our company is a small boutique company of about 80 actors. And then there's probably about 10 writers, 10 directors, very small company of 100. Five employees, uh, so a very small company in terms of um, employees. I still don't know. I, I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's <laughs> don't stress. It's, I, I guess the question is, is it an intentional thing that you thought of? Like at some point, did you, do you, did, do people make the switch, I guess, from clients to friends? Like I'll give you an example. So, um, you ever watch Californication? the David Duchovny show. Okay. So his best friend is his agent in that show. The character's yeah. name is Runkle, right? So one of my best friends is a literary agent who hopefully will sit down for this one day. Um, and I always joking, jokingly refer to her as my Runkle. One day I'll theoretically write a novel and theoretically she would be the person who would hopefully want to rep me. Right. And so if she was to say, if let's say that happens at some point in the future, she would say, Hey, I'm going to go have a meeting with a friend of mine because I'm her friend first and her client second in this fictional, um, world that I'm talking about. Cause her response to this would be, you have to finish something for me to represent you. And then we go down a whole rabbit hole of whatever. Right. So in this world, I finished something and she would say, I'm going to have a meeting with a friend of mine, even though we were going to talk business. Right. Um, but potentially another person who she doesn't have that same relationship with. She would say, I'm going to go have a meeting with my client. Yeah. I mean, that makes yeah. sense. Right. So, but I find that when I, and again, this may just be a lack of like a small sample size. Right. Um, but I find that sometimes like whenever you say, I'm going to go meet with someone who turns out to be a client, right. It always is couched in this idea of their, your friend, first rather than your client. And maybe that, like I said, it might just be a small sample size and I'm extrapolating this because I've been sitting on this. Like, like I said, I've, I, I put this in this note in my head to be like, when she does the podcast, that's when I'm going to ask this question. Um, cause I'm a weirdo. Um, but so I've always wondered, is that like, do you think that's an intentional thing that you do with some clients versus others? I don't know if that's something that you can talk about. I'm, I'm sorry, Julia's clients. If, uh, <laughs> no, I, I mean, um, I'll say this and I do remember kind of where I was trying to go with my initial, <laughs> <laughs> my initial answer. Uh, I am a very loyal person by nature. Um, I find that if you join my tribe, you're going to be in it you know, unless something happens, you know, shit happens, get it. Sure. But yeah. for the most part, I say that I've known, I've, I, I've known most of the people in my life for, for 10, 20, 30 years. I don't tend to have a, I have a very large network, but these people that, are, that you meet, you're usually in my late, my life forever. Somehow we run into each other somehow. So I find that when a client comes to me, regardless of if they've got tons of credits or if they're no, like a nobody just starting out. Um, I mean, I treat everyone equally. And again, with that same loyalty of we're in this together, as long as this relationship continues to communicate and be great, we'll see what happens. And again, you can't really get those friends out of your clients until they give you the same loyalty and the same friendship and the same respect. And so it really comes to two people to make that friendship. It starts as a business relationship. But again, the people that I refer to that are my friends that are now my clients used to be, they're my clients only. So um, again, the people that I do speak of that way are my 10 plus year loyal 
I mean, you don't even have to be 10 plus here. You can be five plus here. I don't care. But as long as you are on the ambition team and I'm on your team and you know, we work together. Yeah. Like it's, it, I think it's just a natural progress progression, right? Um, you build a life together, just like a relationship. Right. So, so yeah, that to answer your question, the people that have been in my life for a very long time that, you know, we have great love for. Yeah. They, they are probably more my friend than a client at this point. So let's draw that out then and take it to sort of backwards a little bit and say, what's more important for you when you're, when you're looking at someone to represent, is it talent first and connection slash personality slash fit second? Or do you think this person's super talented? I want to represent them, but Oh God, I can't do like, I don't want to be it. Like, you know what I mean? Like personality fit isn't there, whatever it happens to be. So what I tend to do, just even with submissions to kind of break this down. If someone blindly submits to the agency, it goes through a circulation, then it will come to me if it seems like it's something that I might be interested in. If it goes beyond that and um, I'll ask for self tape, an audition, a demo reels, just stuff. Um, and then if I, if it, if I like them from that point in terms of talent, what they have, I need to meet you in person. Right. Because if you sit on my couch and you don't say anything at when I ask you questions or you have a nervous tick or you, um, I don't even know. What? I, 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 or, or if you were really late to, to the appointment. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many different things to, to, to learn about a, a human that you can't really learn unless you have that face-to-face conversation. Um, and a lot of the times it doesn't really procure a signing after that meeting um i don't know if that answered it <laughs> no no totally I, I i definitely see where you're coming from and I, I just find i find all that stuff really interesting because like ultimately it comes down to a connection right like you either connect to their work you connect to the person um or you connect to both at the same time right and i guess part of, i was just sort of curious if you if there are time like if you like is the ratio higher to like if someone sits down on your couch let's say you get to that point you like their work um, do you find that you're more likely, like if they get, that's more of a, what do you call it? Like, uh, like a final step. Like that's the last stage. Like if you get to the couch, you're basically there, just don't fuck it up. Or is the couch like a sort of, uh, an integral, you know, leg of the tri the triangle or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, the couch isn't the last stop. Okay. <laughs> so what's, <laughs> what, well then what is the last step? We have a very, Vigorous process and ambition. Um, the next step after the meeting is to discuss with my team because, again, okay. uh, most agencies work independently of each other um, within an office. So you can have one office under one name, and there's 14 different agents. In my company, there are three agents, well, four agents, but um, two head the television and film department, and then two do TV, film, and commercials. So um, it's a really small company and we all work together. Whereas another company, if that one person comes in, it's that one agent's job to cover that one person. The whole company, those 14 other agents don't care about that one client because it's just for that one agent. That makes sense. So my company, it's, you've kind of got four agents working for you. So it's a little bit more managerial and, and, and um, less of like just, throwing spaghetti at the wall, if you will. Right. So it's more of a group decision. Like you're not, the couch isn't the final call because you might like someone and then the team doesn't want to take them on. 
we all have to collectively agree that we want to work with this person because we know that if I were to get sick and they were my client, or if I was on vacation or something happened in my life and I couldn't actively be there for the, the, the actor, I know David could take care of that actor, or I know Vaishni could take care of that actor, or I know Grace could take care of that actor. So I feel our company is pretty well covered. Um, and so with that, you know, comes other opinions and you have to collectively agree. Totally. Um, okay. We're going to go one more question and then we're going to go to our break, take a little moment, get a little, little advertising, uh, dollars in there, you know? Um, so my last question, this one is, uh, you can answer this. You don't have to answer this. Um, either way, we're going to go into the break on this question, which is, um, okay. So it's, you can answer either side of this. Is there someone that you were super into working with that you could not get past your team slash, is there someone that you were super into working with and then tanked it some, and they tanked it somehow? Um, is there a good, like, you know what I mean? Like, is there a good story in terms of, you know, you like see a commercial for a movie and you're like, shit, I really, I knew that I knew they were going to be huge. And then you call up David and you're like, guess who's in a blockbuster. You know what I mean? Like, is there, is there a name like that? Or can you tell me a name that where you were like, Oh man, that guy was amazing in that. And I was like, we were gonna, gonna sign him. And then, you know, he threw up in my office or whatever it happened to be, you know? Oh man. You know what? I'm, I'm lame because I don't really have great stories. Not true. Not true at all. I've heard them. I, I've heard some of them, and I will. In, on this podcast that is here to celebrate your amazingness, Julia, I am not going to let you be humble about your stories. But no, I, I, I will say that, um, yeah, there have been tons of people that I've been wanting to work with that I never got the opportunity to. And, you know, some people have said yes to me verbally and never signed on the dotted line. It's shady. Can't say that I. You Who's know. the one that got away? We won't not, you don't have to say how they got away, but is there one, is there a name on that list where you're like, every time they're in a like, you're like, Oh, that could have been my client. Oh man. Yeah. There's so many. <laughs> What's the, you, I'll, I'll give you one chance. You don't have to, we're going to go into a break regardless, but is there a name that you can be like, I almost represented it. No, I, I know because nobody knows who they are. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're fantastic but nobody knows who they are. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. All right. All right. It's good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. You heard it here first guys. Um, without Julia Schneider, you're not going to succeed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that, we're going to go into a break. Um, if you're at home, folks, uh, you know, do whatever you want. You can pause it. You can go to the bathroom. You can make some coffee. Um, we're going to take a couple minutes, you know, probably make a coffee or something. And then we're going to come right back after this word from our sponsors. You're listening to Running Up the Downstairs, sponsored by host Josh Finkelman's Twitter and Instagram accounts at KJosh Radio for both. And we're back. What a great commercial. And no, this isn't the second time we've recorded this uh, coming back from the break because I totally knew this was episode 12 and we didn't spend five minutes talking about it being episode 11 and had to start again. So... Welcome to episode 12, folks. Um, and if I said episode 11 at the beginning, you may not even know because I might just record 12 over top of it like I did with episode 10. Anyhow, so uh, Julia, 
Yes. Speaking of imposter syndrome, um, one of the things that I like to ask people um, is one of the things I think that I think I also focus on is the idea of being like an adult um, being like the, the idea of legitimacy. I know it's something that I have uh, struggled with in some sense uh, because I, I, it's sort of the idea of like any club that'll have me as a member. I don't want to be a part of like that old uh, Marx Brothers thing. Um, And I feel like I may have bought into that way too much when I was younger and it's hard to get out of. Um, And so I always, I always like to ask about the first time, that you felt um legitimate sounds like a much bigger word than i I think i actually intend but um and we're going to talk about the fact that you are obviously a woman in a in a semi-male dominant or male semi-dominated industry at any rate um but so i imagine that as you were saying before like with your mentor and and sort of she was you know a bit intimidating and you were a bit scared of her in the beginning i would have to imagine that making that transition from actor to agent would have some uh transition period of not feeling um comfortable and not feeling like that is what you're doing and all that sort of stuff so do you was there a specific moment that you remember where you were sort of standing maybe on a set or in a meeting with someone where you went holy fuck like i am an agent you know yeah it's it's an interesting question because i think my prep for becoming an agent was an actor. Mm -hmm. So everything being on set and classes and all that stuff. So I felt like I had a pretty good grasp on the industry. When I finally decided to walk into my agent's office at the time, I think I was 24. It was the hardest decision. I felt awful. I felt like I was making the biggest mistake of my life. I felt like, um, I had no identity because I only knew myself as an actor and as a performer. And now I was taking myself away from, from that life that I knew. So going into agenting was really a strange experience because I felt confident, but I felt no confidence because I didn't know what I was doing in the business world. But I really relayed on my own positive thoughts of, well, the industry knows me and people will accept me. And, you know, I did pretty well for the last 15 years, but, um, maybe they'll, they'll help me. Maybe, maybe it won't be so difficult. And so when I started making phone calls to casting directors that used to bring me into audition for them, and I was now pitching clients for them to bring into the room, I kind of thought it would be a lot easier because I already had established my relationships with those people in the casting rooms. But when I called them on the phone to get a client in, they would listen to me and hear me out, but they didn't trust me because they didn't know me as a businesswoman. Right. And they didn't tell me that. I had to figure that out on my own because I wouldn't get calls returned. I wouldn't get actors in rooms. It was really hard for me to establish myself as a business person that they only knew me as a, as a teenager and as a young woman and an artist. So it kind of gave me a little bit of a shock because I was, I guess, a little bit too expectant and, and felt like my confidence maybe had overtaken that. So I had to kind of humble myself a little for the first three years. And by, I'd say that first three years, that's kind of when you get your footing and you've done the job and you show up, people rely on you, you book a couple of actors on jobs, and then it just kind of legitimizes you at that point. You have to pay your dues. I didn't think I did because I thought I had already done so. I thought that was my phone. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm so sorry. That oh, was no, no, you're. I actually, that's good. You're you're a busy, working, important person in the industry, and and this is just a podcast. You know, you gotta you're gonna receive phone calls in the midst of it. This shows my audience that you're in demand, and that they're you know they're like who who is Julia Schneider, and immediately we know she's busy and important because that phone just rang. You were yes, saying phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I've had fire. Uh, I've had fire trucks uh, pull up outside of my building uh, during one. Uh, there's a construction site just outside my window. So um, there's all sorts of sounds that come from that. So a phone ringing. I mean, that might be the tamest thing that's happened. I've had people knock on my door um, during it. <laughs> it's, you know, we're, we're a fly by night organization over here in the downstairs. But you were saying. Um. I don't remember what I, I had finished my thought really. Oh, right, right. We were talking, well, we were talking about legitimacy and we were talking about like that sort of imposter syndrome and stuff. And we were talking about like what it takes to feel comfortable um, in your role. Right. And you were saying like, you have to, you know, sort of earn that, which I, I totally, yeah. um, I totally agree with. I, I I've seen it. And I think it's true in any real situation. Like trust is always earned. Um, but what was that experience like? Like the first time you, the first like casting agent, do you, do you remember like the first casting agent who was like, wait, you're an agent now? Like what that, that moment of like transition, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember those phone calls really well. Um, they, they all supported me. Even my agent at that time, when I told him I was leaving to do his job and be his biggest competition, his response to me was, you'll be a better agent than you were an actor. Nice. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you're like, wait, you're my agent. Yeah. <laughs> I, think that like, was, that was after, I think after I let him go from, from working for me, I was like, <laughs> you no yeah. longer had to talk. <laughs> <Do you? laughs> um, so I was just thinking about something else. Anyways, the, uh, <laughs> so I guess what one of the things about? that <laughs> I know we're, we're just having we're all wondering. We're having too much fun. Oh, I have no idea. It's it's already gone. Uh, but one of the reasons that I, I bring up legitimacy is is I kind of have this ongoing debate with myself whether or not it uh, it matters, right? And whether or not um, it is uh, it is a positive, a negative, or whether it it just sort of is neutral. Because I think there's. I always tell this story. I may have told this on the podcast before, but I have a cousin. My cousin has uh, four kids. He's like, I think a vice principal of a school right now. And when my, my mom got married a couple years ago, we had this conversation where I was trying to tell him that I didn't think he was, I thought of him as an adult. And he was telling me that he didn't see himself as an adult. And I was like, you have like, he currently has like a 19 year old son, which is insane. Right? Like my, my second cousin, I guess. Um, and so at the time his son was probably 15 14, 15, 16. So here's a man with like a, a kid in puberty, um, old enough. And that's just one of his four kids. He's, you know, a pillar of the community and he's a, you know, hardworking teacher and whatever it was going on. And I looked at him, I said, if you don't feel like an adult, what fucking hope do I have? You know, like I, I'm, my cat barely tolerates me being here all the time. You know, like all the, the normal trappings of things that we, we think of as adulthood. I don't, need, want, have, whatever. But he did. And the idea of him not feeling like an adult kind of blew me away a little bit because I was like, well, do, do any of us feel like an adult? And even if we do, does it matter? Right. And so I, I that's where I, I, why I always ask the question, because I wonder, A, is it something that I think people are aware of in that sense? Do you know what I mean? Like, and B, is it something that you feel is 
useful or not useful. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you think that if someone like, so if someone's coming in a new situation, would you, do you think that they would succeed more or less if they feel confident or do you think that they work harder? I'm sorry, not confident, but feel um, comfortable, let's call it. Um, or do you think that, you know, like it's important to, to be in that situation, to be fresh, to have to earn that trust? Um, I think anything new that you're trying, you have, again, kind of fuzzy on the question. But <laughs> That's probably my fault. Uh, th- think of it this way. Do you think that it's, uh, do you, the value of struggling to, to earn the trust of people in your industry, right? Um, rather than like, I, I would assume that some people come into being an agent and they're just immediately embraced um, for whatever reason, oh, what you, mean. you know, and it's like, um, Hey, this person's an agent and the industry sees them as an agent and there's no real, you know, the struggle is being good at it rather than being taken seriously. Um, no, I mean, I think it, if I'm specifically speaking of Canada, the sure. agents in Canada are very different than the agents in Los Angeles. So I'll speak about Canada. Um, confidence is key but you have to play by the rules in the Canadian market. And I don't know why we have rules in the Canadian market. And I don't know why the casting directors or producers or directors have a certain way of, of wanting to do the, the job in Canada, but it's far different than Los Angeles. So when you're specifically talking about an agent coming into any company in Canada and being just accepted, it doesn't happen. I mean, you can have a really great roster of people, but if the casting director doesn't know you as a person, they're probably not going to bring in your people unless you can give them a reason to trust you. For example, there was even an agent who's Canadian out in LA who came back to Canada and, you know, came into the Canadian market having a major roster down in Los Angeles from a very prominent company in LA, respectable company, coming back to Canada, being with his family, joining a Canadian agent, doing the thing that he did just like he's been doing for the last 20 years in LA. People had problems with it. Casting directors called him up, kind of humbled him up a little bit. You know, they, they didn't like his aggressive approach. They didn't like that he was just going to call the directors or call the producers rather than just go by the book. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's the markets are very similar, but they're very different and the styles are very different. So yeah, if you're a Canadian agent or you want to be an agent, you're coming from America to Canada and you think you can do it, you got to be accepted by the community because it is a tight knit community here. It's not like LA. LA, you can go from company to company, agent to agent, manager, manager, burn bridges, build bridges. You'll always have a career and someone will always want to work with you and you know, there's no real loyalty or, or humbleness in the LA market, I would say, as much as there is in Canada. They're very, very different. Interesting. No, it's a, I find like the, it's almost like we're a small town, you know, and like you have to, you have to listen to the mayor and the mayor's wife's in charge. And like, if you don't go through the right steps, it's, it's really interesting. Um, And just to finish that story with that agent that came from America to Canada that wasn't really accepted here. He left and he went back to America. I was going to say that sounds, that sounds like, uh, that sounds like what, he, yeah, that's such a weird, that's such a weird dichotomy. Cause like, I mean, you would expect that with like medicine, with law and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have expected it as much with, uh, with agenting just because, you know, 
I've seen Entourage. That seems like, you know, I mean, that that's my, I mean, now you couldn't, uh, <laughs> you couldn't watch that on TV. But, um, but like, I think that's what the mainstream view of agenting is to some degree is like, uh, is Jeremy Piven screaming into his cell phone, right? So, yeah, and, and that is, that is what it is. That, that show Entourage is a perfect portrayal of Hollywood. It is that. Yeah, sure, things are heightened, but a lot of it's true. Um, if not all of it. <laughs> that's, you know, I, I have no problem believing that. But that's an interesting, it's an interesting show because, like, it really probably wouldn't get made now. Like, it doesn't, that whole bro mentality that is very much present there. I mean, it's, I'm sure, very much present in Hollywood still. Um, but I don't know if it would necessarily make it on TV anymore. But yeah. it's interesting that you bring it up because, you know, as a woman in um, the entertainment industry, I mean, and especially in the agenting world, um, I'm sure that has to add an, a layer of complexity to navigating, you know, the yeah. industry, right? And so I guess it also play it also speaks to that in terms of like, you know, earning people's trust. Like, did you find, do you find that when you got, when you came into the business that it was, do you think it was harder for you because you're a woman or do you think that it was, I mean, obviously I'm sure it was harder for you because you were I almost said potentially a woman. Um, you're definitely a woman, potentially harder for you because of that. Um, but do you see, can you, do you see, do you see the difference now? And do you feel like you contributed to it? Yeah, I, I didn't feel a struggle, str sorry, I didn't feel a struggle for my gender at any point in time because, again, the acting industry, first and foremost, is very heavy female. But in terms of, the business side, yeah, there are a lot, a lot less. Well, actually, I don't even know what the percentage is. There are quite a few to few female agents that I know in Canada. I'd say there are way more males in the states than there are women, but in Canada, I, it could be a little bit more of a balance. Um, I'd have to really figure out the numbers, but again, um, less about gender, more about youth. Interesting. That to me is my, um, I want more people, younger um, actors, writers, directors, people that don't really know what they want to do to explore agenting. Um, I think we need a lot more um, passionate, coherent <laughs> um, agents. Uh, for actors because really we are the only advocates for these struggling artists to get seen. Um, and I found that I, I became the youngest talent agent at 25 in Canada at, I mean, this was over a decade ago, but I was the youngest and, and I came from this acting background and I was kind of looking around going, wow, I only have older people to look at, you know, 45 plus 50, 60. A lot of the agents are about to retire in a couple of years. So I'm kind of sitting alone, you know, at 25, trying to figure out this industry, try to, try to bring some youth to it. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. I just want you to love the clients and the work. And I think we need more blood, youth blood in our industry in Canada to make the changes that I've tried to make and the tr changes my elders have tried to make for our industry. And it will always be a continuing conversation, but I'm more interested in seeing younger people run this industry because we are the people that consume this industry right we pay yeah. for the subscriptions and tickets and concerts and all that stuff 
So we are, we are the people that, you know, they say disposable income if you don't have a family and all that other stuff. But yeah, in your twenties and thirties and forties, like you, we, we are the companies, we are the people that thrive the industry. And I just, I, I was more concerned about the age ism (laughs) almost. And I think that's what I felt. I felt not, um, less than because I was a girl. I felt less than because I was young. I was fucking 25. I, I don't, I didn't know what I was doing, but I wanted to learn. And all the agents were in their fifties and sixties. I was trying to sign people against a 50 and 60 year old. And yet you want to sign with a 25 year old that's never done this before, but has a lot of experience. It kind of came to that point where, yeah, it was hard for me to sign clients because I may have had the confidence, but I was too inexperienced. So, so if we can get more younger, because again, the agents in the city are in their forties and fifties and sixties. Well, what do you think the biggest, uh, the biggest roadblock for that is? Because I, I've always seen agenting as um, something that like you needed to go to law school for, or you needed to understand contracts for. Um, and only in the last, like I said, since my friend became a literary agent, um, becoming like, you know, getting to be better friends with you, all that sort of stuff. Um, it never seemed like it was something that you could do unless you had, you know, that kind of experience, like you're saying, that sort of veteran thing. And so do you think like, do you think there is like that roadblock for people that it's seen that way? Or I, I, I think so. Because the question I get asked most often is how did you become an agent? Did you go to school for it? I didn't go to school for it. I didn't even graduate. <laughs> I graduated high school. <laughs> you <were> hard knocks. <laughs> uh, but I went to university for a totally different medium. It was art. So, and I and I didn't graduate because I was just busy with work. So, um, you figured you know, out that a bachelor of fine arts is really just a expensive piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't even about. It actually, wasn't even about the diploma. It was to keep myself out of trouble and keep myself busy while I was waiting for auditions. Sure. That's why I went to university. Cause if I went to university for acting, I wouldn't be able to audition. So I was like, well, that kind of defeats the purpose. I want to be on set and make money and have experience, but I have to go to school to learn how to act. That doesn't make sense. Hold on. So wait, I, you mean you couldn't do auditions because like you were in classes at the time or you weren't allowed. Uh, to so all of the theater schools in Ontario usually for the most part have a very strict protocol in attendance and you can't miss any classes. Therefore you can't go to an audition in the middle of the day. You can't yeah. miss a week of work to shoot an, an, an MOW. You, right. you, you know, so I, I found that to be problematic for my life. <laughs> so I was like, I'll just do photography and then I'll still be able to audition and I can miss classes whenever I want. Anyway, I didn't graduate. <laughs> but <laughs> didn't I bet you take a mean picture. <laughs> it didn't matter. I did <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I suggest to anybody, yeah, there is a little bit of a stigma of you have to go to school. You have to know how to read a contract. Um, those are all important things. Yes, sure. education is key. I wish I knew how to run a business. I could figure it out, but um, I don't sure. feel like you, you don't need to go to school for it. So. Um, yeah, I think that's a misconception. Yeah. But in Los Angeles, that's a whole other thing. There are boot camps, agency boot camps that they put you in and they teach you how to run a specific way, act a specific way, be a specific type to to be at, you know, the Death Star of Los Angeles, Hollywood. Do you ever think of bringing that to Canada? Like the boot camp uh, idea? Because I feel like there's a market out there. Like I feel like there are people out there who would be like, oh, I would totally love it. I would do that. I mean, there, there have been 
I guess there's intenses and intensives, but it's not for agents. Um, David Ritchie and myself, my business partner, we like, he'll go out to Humber college or right. Um, Queens university and he'll go speak to the media students and kind of give them an idea of the business side. Mm -hmm. But that's as much as we're really offering in terms of um, education in management and and, and and that again i'm only speaking from somebody who didn't go to school for business oh, absolutely. or all of that so there are people who are listening to this that know all that so sure. congratulations <laughs> they they know all of it and their roster is their mom they're they're representing just their mom but the hopefully finances are amazing you know they're very successful hopefully <laughs> um one of the things that i um that i find really interesting about agenting and is that it's it's not transparent in the sense that like, yes, we have entourage and that kind of thing in terms of media. And so like, you know, people kind of have this idea of what it is and, and that kind of stuff. But like, it's not something that you really see day to day. It's not something that the average person would really, would really know, but there's this sort of mystery about it. Like, because you're celebrity adjacent, you're actor adjacent, movie adjacent, that kind of thing. Um, can you think of like, are there experiences that you have had that you're like, this is a experience I had simply because I was an agent and it was amazing. And like, this is like things that you, you know what I mean? Like I had these great experiences that I would only have as an agent. Like, can you think of one off the top of your head that, you know, you, that's what you think of when you're like, what's the best thing I got to do as an agent? The best thing in general about my job is that my clients are fantastic. They get work in other places in the world and, <laughs> and I go, <laughs> and that's amazing. Yeah, it's uh, Julia's Instagram um, back before uh, the coronavirus happened um, was just a whirlwind of being different places. If you hadn't heard from Julia in a while, you looked at her Instagram and she's like in New York, she's in LA. And so, like, there is that idea that like being an agent is quite a jet setter lifestyle, not through you specifically, just in, in general. Yeah. Um, but is there like, can you think of a moment like you're standing on a set and you're like, Oh, this is amazing. And you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, again, like I've been so fortunate to travel. I've, I've tripped, I've traveled to South Africa for a week just to hang out with my clients on set of a show. And I had never traveled to South Africa. So, you know, as much as I was there for the client, we got to bond and climb mountains and hang out and see the city and go to work with them, which was fantastic. So that's definitely um, one that st stood out for me. But even um, recently, actually, before COVID, um, I've got a really wonderful client who's on an AMC series called Nosferatu with Zachary Quinto. And I went out to Rhode Island, and I had never been to Rhode Island, and it was just a solo trip, just going to go visit him. And I actually had this moment where I was standing on set, it was an outdoor shoot, it was like a Christmas village, and these productions, these American productions, they don't spare any expense. <laughs> is that yeah? It's on on their production value. It was the most magical set experience I had ever been on, and I was in awe, complete and utter awe. Going, how did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> how am I standing on this set in Providence, Rhode Island, with like Zachary Quinto? And, you know, my client from Canada, just <laughs> chilling and hanging out and um, talking to people all over the world and just, yeah, meeting everybody on those sets. I think I, think I have those moments um, when I feel personally responsible with the client's journey 
as to getting there. And, and the client that I'm speaking about specifically is Jonathan Langdon. He's this fantastic comedian, yeah. hilarious, but Very he's funny. on a dramatic TV series for AMC. And it's the last thing I probably would have ever thought he would have got. But the character is him, and he's wonderful, a fantastic actor. But yeah, that was definitely a moment where I was like, this is the kind of stuff I want. I want to work on high-budget Hollywood projects with notable actors. I want all my Canadian clients to work with them because they, the people that I hire deserve to work with the best. Right. So I, yeah, I want more of that. I want more of that for all of my, all my clients. So one of the things, speaking of your Instagram, one of the things that kind of blew my mind a little bit, not because I was surprised uh, that you were involved, just that I didn't know you were involved, um, was High Fidelity. And all of a sudden, you were on the High Fidelity red carpet um, on Instagram. And I hadn't watched the show, but I had been waiting because like, I love that movie. I love, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Billy Crabbe. Yes, whose name I can't remember, but I love her. I got you. And I was like super, thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> I was really excited to watch it and I hadn't obviously hadn't seen it yet. I've now seen it. It's amazing if you haven't watched it. You really should. Um, but all of a sudden there you were on that red carpet for High Fidelity. Um, and it made me think like, I have this weird thing where I feel a great sense of pride in places that I've had no responsibility whatsoever. So like, you know, uh, over the break, I was, uh, I was mentioning to you how, um, one of our mutual friends, uh, Pat Thornton is someone who, uh, I want to have on the podcast. No one listens to this, so he's probably not listening, but he's going to get a, a message saying, Hey, I want you to be on the podcast. Um, and I haven't known Pat for that long couple years. I know him through our, our also mutual acquaintance, uh, Dan, but like, I'm so proud of him for like his successes. I've had absolutely nothing to do with them, but it's, I always find it such a weird feeling of like to have pride for something that I was not involved in. Uh, the previous guest on my show, we were talking also, uh, my friend Trey, uh, who's doing all these amazing things, uh, with photography and all that sort of stuff. But like, I'm so proud of her for doing all these things. And I have nothing to do with it and no, like, I don't even know her that well, but I know her and I just so proud of her. And so I have to imagine that that is just 150% when you actually did have something to do with it. And so yeah, um, what's that experience like that you, you kind of hit it on the head because high fidelity was that for me. Um, Rainbow son Franks is a client that he was my first signing. I signed him when I was 24 before I was an agent, wow. which is technically not, you know, <laughs> <But> <laughs> whatever you were a 24 year old agent, it's fine. You know, he stayed at the company and he just said, <laughs> when you become an agent, you're my agent. I went, okay. Right. So he stayed with me. And so it's been, you know, a really, really, really long process. I remember he was the first major deal that I did. Um, he has given me so much of my career and experience. So being on that red carpet with him, I mean, I remember when the call came in that he had an audition for it because Zoe specifically wanted him to read. Zoe and Rainbow have a, a family history together. Right. Um, you know, Zoe is um, the godmother, I believe, to like name Rainbow's nieces and nephews or nieces. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, so they're very really close. But funny enough, he still had to audition. Um, so we got the call, he auditioned, he, he put it on tape a thousand times, you know, notes here and there weeks went by, finally get the offer, go through the deal. He shoots it. I go, I go sit with him on set. We experienced the whole thing and it all really came together when we were all on the red carpet because I felt like here is this client who signed with me. I was 24 years old. He already had a history of, of credits from Vancouver. He's led series. He was top notch. 
but wanted to sign with me because he liked my vibe and my energy and what our company brought. And luckily stayed with me throughout that whole thing. And then we were there together, two evolved humans, but friends forever. And um, being on a show with Zoe Kravitz, which is one of his like, sisters, and me meeting Nick Hornby, who, you know, stemmed the idea of just the coolest movie that got sure, made. Yeah. Um, it, and it, again, the whole story and everything, the, the story itself for High Fidelity speaks obviously to me um, in a different way. So I, I had a, I was very emotional. I was a very weird, surreal experience turning left, right, seeing all of, you know, the who's who of New York city in one room and just being here. But the best part of it was, is that I got to be there with my friend Rainbow, who was awesome. my client. And again, that goes back to the story of he's my friend. Right. Now, and, and a client. <laughs> there you, right. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, I'm, 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 I, I look at, I, I often wonder that, you know, I, cause I, I always come back to, I feel like it's the things you see when you're young that influence how you pursue stuff, right? Like it, it really imprints on you. And I wonder if I, you know, maybe not me specifically, but I wonder like, you know, if someone, let's take me as an example, like at 15 or 16, you know, like if I was, if I had your example, like this is what being an agent is. I mean, I'm old now, but like, you know, I look at him like, Oh man, that looks great. I would love, you know, I should, why didn't I think of that? You know, like there, it's another one on the list of things that I go, Oh shit. If I had known that was an option, I probably would have thought more about it. You know what I mean? It's an option. It's still an option for you. Okay, look, if you're going to hire me based off of this podcast, I mean, we'll talk afterwards. Um, so uh, <laughs> leading into that, from that moment of standing on and feeling pride over all this sort of stuff, um, this may be one of those questions that um, is a little bit too vague, but just out of curiosity, um, we were talking about what it's like to be an agent, what people think of as agent, uh, what an agent is. Can you think of something that is your most agent moment? Like, if that makes sense, like... Um, something like a moment that you were like, that was an agency thing to do. Like, what was your most, like, you know, you were yelling at a producer for on behalf of a client or you were like chasing someone down to get someone hired or, you know, like that kind of thing. Like, has there ever, have you ever had a moment where you just went, Holy fuck, that was so agency. You know what it is? It's negotiation. So I feel like if, um, I use it on a daily basis. Are you and I don't say, I don't say it's not manipulation. It's negotiation. It's, it's, I feel like when I, it's weird being an agent, you have to be business minded. And then there's Julia. So there's two versions of me. And I find that sometimes in my personal Julia life, my agent comes out Yeah. and that's my ability to negotiate and get what I want in fairness. Uh, and I, and I use it for my personal life, but like, I don't know that I'm actually doing it. I'm not conscious about it, but I have friends that will stop me and be like, can you just become Julia again and not agent Julia? <laughs> um, because they, I, I can get very caught up in the two versions of myself. Are you, so just because uh, I have one more question on this, we're going to, we're going to bring it to the home stretch, but I, that was super interesting and I want to know more. Are you a, what kind of a negotiator are you? Are you like a hard nosed, like, have you ever done this move where someone offered you something and you turn to your, your clients that we're leaving and then the client's like, oh my God, we can't leave. I want that deal. And you're like, just trust me. And then when you get to the door, they're like, no, we got a better deal. Like, have you ever had that moment? And I wish things were done in person because I think <laughs> we have so much more leverage. <laughs> 
Uh, no, everything is done over email and phone, so there is no personal touch. <laughs> oh. um, it is hard to so basically, you'll get an offer. You'll take, you'll send it to the client. It's phone call, email, whatever. Right. Uh, I'm I'm a negotiator of saying you should pass. I am one of the agents that will say you should pass. David is the same. Not every agent is like that. They are more about we need the money, we need the work. Right. Let's just do it. I'm not that way. I, I'm not desperate. My clients aren't desperate. They're um, commodities. So uh, I try to remember their value. Again, not everybody can say no to their offers. Um, you have to have some sort of status at that point to be able to do so. But once you are there, say no, because you will get respect. Um, so uh, yeah, in terms of negotiation, I think I just remind clients of their worth. And um, yeah. A couple of times, most occasions, you call their bluff. Um, but the truth of the matter is there are tons of actors and there are tons of desperate actors that will literally sell their soul just to do anything. So if my client says no, they have to be okay with knowing their rival could probably get the, ro the role, you know? Right. Like they might just take it at a lower cost because they need it or they have a house payment to make or, you know, people have different reasons for doing jobs. And so, um, I, I yeah, the negotiation thing is, is a tricky one, but uh, it's not as glamorous as you make it seem like, <laughs> no, don't leave. I promise I'll pay you everything. I have a very vivid internal imagination. Um, and regardless, that's how I picture what you do. Um, just slamming tables and slamming doors and walking out of rooms. Uh, I, I will say this. If, if any of my clients hear this, they know <laughs> that I am the nice one and David is the mean one. So okay, we're, that doesn't we're the yin and yang. I'm usually the one that's coaxing, you know, everybody being like, okay, everyone's fine. <laughs> we'll figure it out. And then David's the one yelling and hanging up the phone and slamming the doors. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, we've, um, I, thank you so much for doing this. I have one last question for you. I ask everyone this question. It's, uh, it's very vague, but we're gonna, we're gonna go with it. Cause, um, ultimately this is all about how to do more stuff, how to, how to, how people do the amazing stuff that they do in this case, you, um, and what I can learn from that in terms of, uh, just, observing and asking questions but i think in terms of like the audience i think i always like to ask at the end if you can give people advice and it doesn't have to be like you know how to succeed at agenting just in general like um what is the best piece of advice that you can give to people in terms of like your own personal success like what is the one thing um you know uh that you would be like hey this is the one piece of advice that i can give you um without going into specifics this is the thing that everyone should do yeah, I mean, again, you can go in so many avenues, but I think the biggest thing is surround yourself with people you respect and admire um, and, and just build a really good community. Build a really solid, loyal foundation of creative people that will help you build and grow and then get you where you want. I am nothing without all the people I've met and that have given me opportunities and given me advice. Like I'm so thankful and grateful for those people, each and every one. Well, um, I can't speak for everyone, but I'm going to, and we are also very grateful for all, grateful for all those people. Cause they uh, brought you us, brought you, us, you. 
Oh man, we were really bringing it home there. It was like a home stretch. Everything was great. And then I just had to go and ruin it. No, I'm joking. It was uh, oh, it's the, whole, the whole thing. Um, no, but that uh, we, we are thankful that they were able to get you here because we we're all learning a lot from you. And I think you're fantastic and you're doing great things and I'm constantly impressed. So wow. thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, this is episode 12. No matter what I said at the beginning, this is our year anniversary. Um, we're... I've been doing this podcast for two years and we finally hit 12 episodes. Yay! So, uh, it only took a global pandemic, but thanks for being here for our, our year anniversary episode. That's uh, pretty cool. Uh, we're a year of episodes old. Uh, <laughs> um, so thank you very much for that. Um, we're going to have you back at some point in the future once uh, we'll, we'll let enough time go by so that you have new stories to tell us. Um, but we always want to check in with our friends. Um, also, and if I ever post the video from this uh, interview, you'll be able to see the dope t-shirt that Julia is wearing. I'm not even going to describe it to you. I'm going to let you imagine it is just a black t-shirt and it's just, it's got a thing on it. It's amazing. Um, and if you ever see the video, (laughs) yes, that's who she got it from. Um, and if they could get me one, I would really appreciate it. Um, but from the downstairs, this has been episode 12. My name is Josh Finkelman. Thank you, Julia Schneider. And that's us for today. Thanks guys.